Today we are going to discuss why empathy is probably the most important skill for any Zero professional and we'll be doing that together with Zero specialist Amardeep Adwal from the UK. My name is Gilly Janssen and welcome to Zero Cafe, the podcast where I show you the behind the scenes of optimization teams and talk with their specialists about data and human driven optimization and implementing a culture of experimentation and validation. In case you missed it, in the previous English episode I spoke with Georgi Georgiev about A-B testing statistics and you can listen to that episode on the Shiro Cafe website or in the podcast app you're listening with right now. This episode of Shiro Cafe is made possible by our partners Sidespect, Online Influence Institute, Content Square, Convert.com and Online Dialogue. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 31. Amo, a warm welcome to the cafe. And can you give us a short introduction of your journey into Zero? So I actually started off in direct marketing uh, 13 years ago now. Uh, and we used a lot of the the same principles in CRO there in terms of data analysis, in terms of testing email campaigns, testing direct mail campaigns. So it was kind of a natural evolution for me to move to digital. And so about eight years ago, I made move to digital, started doing web analytics. Then obviously web analytics led to uh, insights and insights led to how can we improve the user experience. And so then I became a CRO about the same time as well. I think literally my first day doing web analytics, my first uh, project was a CRO project for a uh, large cosmetic surgery company, and uh, so yeah, that kind of got the you know got me into it. And funny enough, that very first project was uh, was my biggest one of my biggest results to date. Uh, I think it was like a four hundred and twenty percent uplift in the main conversion rate of the of that page. So yeah, that got me hooked. I was like, oh great. And uh, you know, I've been chasing those sort of, you know, triple digit uplifts ever since. Uh, but they are a few and far between I've come to find. Uh, it's usually five percent to ten percent there uh, rather than you know four hundred percent. It's funny, right? How, how no one has actually done a study in CRO, or <laughs> uh, but we all all have different backgrounds uh, and end up doing experiments. Yes, exactly. I mean, uh, I always say to people, you know, I kind of landed in my dream job because my favorite thing when I was in school was science. And my favorite part of science was running experiments because uh, I loved, you know, you'd, you'd have an idea, you'd test it out. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but, you know, you always learn something at the end of it. And so then, you know, now I get to do this, you know, and someone pays me to do it. So I'm like, well, you know, uh, if all I could, if all I could do is come up with ideas, run experiments all day, I'd be very happy. Uh, but unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of other things that come along with uh, working working in organisations. You don't just get to uh, play with experimentation all day long. Yeah. So what what kind of work do you do right now? What are you working on? So uh, currently, so I'm a consultant. So typically, I will come in and work for a company from anywhere from three months to about nine months, sometimes shorter, sometimes a bit longer, uh, come in, basically say, you know, this is where your current uh, experimentation program is. This is where you want to be. How do we get there? And that might be new processes, upskilling the staff, new tools, new ways of working, uh, whatever it takes. Currently, I'm working for a large uh, electronics distributor, one of the largest in the world, I think, you know, billion dollar turnover annually. Um, so they're very large, owned by an even bigger uh, group 
based out of the US is about 20 billion in turnover. So yes, it's, it's probably the largest e-commerce site I've worked with to date, 43 countries and uh, you know millions of visits uh, every day. Very large B2B e-commerce, which is not one I've done a whole lot of previously. So that's been a little bit of a learning curve. Also as well, you know, heavily electrical engineering products, you know, multimeters and oscilloscopes and uh, kind of, uh, you know, you, you know, I know about fashion products, working on fashion sites and all about domestic community consumables by using consumable sites. But I don't, I, you know, I'm not an electrical engineer. I don't know. I, I don't know one multimeter from another. Uh, I don't know an oscilloscope from multimeter, except I think one's to do with voltages and one's to do with... <laughs> something else but uh so it's yes it's how do you optimize a product you know nothing about is is a a challenge in itself but do you often come in uh with with teams that uh don't do any experimentation at all and want to start with it or is it more like uh improving teams that are already experimenting but getting stuck somehow yeah so it's usually teams that are already doing some experimentation but they you know they want to grow faster they want to do more experiments. They want more wins. They want bigger wins. Uh, I've done a few where they do zero experimentation. And I think the the time lag between, I think they think you can start experimenting tomorrow. Well, it's like, well, no, you know, you've got to get the tool. You've got to get all the data, right? You've got to get all your tracking and tagging, right? Because how are you going to measure everything? Uh, you know, how are you going to optimize something you can't measure? So, there's so much work that goes into it. You could be there six months and say, right, now we're ready to start testing because, you know, you've got the data in a decent order. You've got all your tracking. You've got a tool that works how you think it should work. And you've got the necessary skills in-house to actually build tests because if you're having to outsource everything, then, you know, that's not really good either. And if, you know, relying on a consultant is only going to be there for a few months, then what happens when, when you go? You know, who's going to take over the reins? And a lot of the time I've... You know, you go away, you come back and check on them a year later. They're like, what happened? Oh, well, we had no one to look after it. So we kind of didn't do it. It just didn't really work for us. It didn't work because you didn't carry on. I wonder, do you, why do people hire you? So what's what's their initial reason of hiring you? Uh, and, and, then, and, and then second step, second part of the question, um, you start working for them. What's actually the bottleneck? What, what do you find was actually the issue that they are, uh, that they're struggling with? I think people hire CRO, same as they hire SEO people. SEO people, they want more traffic. CRO people, they want more revenue from that traffic. And that's essentially it. They want a better conversion rate. You know, we're converting at 3%. We want to be converting at 5%. Current five percent, we want to convert to ten. So, so you say j- just just fire your SEO person and your conversion will go up. Less traffic. Yes, uh, <laughs> I've uh, I've actually said you know. So if all you care about it was a conversion rate, I was like, right, let's exclude all the all the bounce visits. There you go. That's fifty percent increase over there. There you go. Uh, and there you go. That's a simple way to do it. Uh, but yeah, so it's revenue. It tends to be they want to increase their revenue. You know, it's it's different client to client. Some clients are you know I want my year on year revenue to be increased. I want my profit ability to be increased i want and it depends what they're trying to get out of it because you know i have the situation where someone's got a business they've been running it for a few years they're looking to sell and retire so which case they needed to make as much revenue as possible they don't really care about uh, profit you're like great you know we'll do incentivization we'll do discounting we'll do everything we can do to drive as much sales as possible make the books look really good other companies are like you know i you know i want this company 
I've got this side business that I wanted to be my full-time business. I needed to make a profit as well as possible. So it's uh, it's very different. But yeah, it's at the end of the day, it tends to be they want more money uh, in one shape or another. Uh, I think the biggest bottleneck for a lot of organizations is, you know, they've heard the term, they know it's about running experiments, but they don't know how do you get started. You know, they've tried maybe changing a button color or changing the image and you're like, oh, it didn't work, nothing happened. It's like, because, yeah, you're just testing random things. You don't have a hypothesis, you don't have any data, you don't have UX, you don't have user research. You know, all you've got is a tool and you're just changing things at random and, you know, crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. Whereas, you know, A-B testing, CRO, is follows the scientific principle is that you need to have a theory that you are testing out. If the test doesn't work, then that shows you that theory is incorrect. So there's a, either a gap in your knowledge or you've disproved that something works. For example, you know, the button should be orange. Okay, you tested it out, didn't work. Have you proved that your button shouldn't be orange? You can say that. Uh, have you proved what the best color of your buttons is? No, you haven't. Uh, so I think there's that's the, the biggest gap, I think, is that the users uh, who want to start optimizing, they just don't know where to start, don't know how to do it, don't know the best way to do it. They they lack probably some of the, the, the rigor that they should be when they're running tests or you know, the, all the bad stuff we know about stopping tests early, you know, not having enough sample size, not having enough conversions. Um, so yeah, there's, it's it's a learning curve. It's a massive learning curve to get them skilled to understand, you know, why you follow this best practice. Why do you set out things so rigidly? Why do you say, look, this is eighty eight percent confidence. Surely we can just leave it running for another week to get more confidence. No, that's that's not what you do, and this is why you don't do that. Uh, so it's I think that's the biggest bottleneck I find is that it's a lack of knowledge first. And then once you have the knowledge, it's the, the resource. Because who's going to build the test? Who's going to curate the test? Who's going to analyze the results? Uh, who's going to then implement the winners on live site? Because uh, most times, you know, the, the dev teams are already stretched to capacity. And then you're asking them to do additional work on top. Or you're doing, asking the QAs to do additional QAing of tests, which can, you know, tests can break things so easily when you're injecting JavaScript. Uh, so I think, yeah, to me, that, Two bottlenecks. The beginning is the knowledge gap, and as it's going on, it's that resource to actually get things built, live, analyzed, implemented. That's for me where the the two issues tend to be. Yeah. Time and time again, every organization yeah. I've been to, and a, a lack of process. So they they have the tool. They know we have a tool, so it should should work. <laughs> yeah. Um, just start randomly throwing stuff at the tool and I hope something sticks, but that, that unfortunately doesn't work always. Uh, well, it, in, in my work now, it depends how bad the site is because sometimes <laughs> you come to a site and you're like, sure. yeah, you set it on fire and start again. Uh, I can't optimize it. Well, I can optimize this, but really just redesign the whole thing here. There's a basic wireframe, just put that live. It will, it will, I'll guarantee you that will beat what you currently have. But those, those kind of guys are few and far between. A lot of the times it's they've you know they've been testing for a while they might have hit the local maximum and it's like well you need to change your design because you know you've got 10 competing elements all trying to be above the fold that that can't work uh you know so you need to change the way the whole look and feel of the site is to uh and incorporate your learnings and what is the most important thing to have at the right place marketing budgets have suffered and the share for a b testing has been impacted too 
If you want to keep that thing to enterprise standards, but save 80% on your annual contract, you can consider Convert.com. With their summer release, you can take advantage of full stack and hybrid features, strong privacy compliance, no blink, and enterprise-grade security. Feel good about your smart business decision. Invest what you save back in your zero program. Check out www.convert.com slash 2020. And you already mentioned uh, uh, knowledge and skills. And um, so that's that's a nice segue into our main topic of today. Uh, because a couple of weeks ago, you you told me, uh, or you mentioned that uh, that empathy is probably the most important skill for any CRO. So please enlighten us. Yes. So a lot of CRO people I know, like myself, started off uh, as analytics uh, started off with data, a very analytical kind of mindset. But uh, I read a article, a scientific paper that was released, I think it was 2012. Yes, 2012. And what they found was that by doing MRI scans and looking at people's brains, when they were using the empathetic parts of the brains, the, the analytical parts were switched off and vice versa. So you cannot do both at the same time. You cannot be analytical, you cannot be empathetic, uh, which is why things like um, a conman can trick a smart person. He makes you empathize with him. Once you start empathizing with him, uh, then your analytical reasoning goes out the window. So once your analytical reasoning goes out the window, you're like, oh, yes, I, I believe him. But you have no reason to believe him. His story is full of holes. It doesn't make any sense. But you're empathizing because you're empathizing is when you're over. Now, as a CRO person, what you're trying to do is you're trying to convince a user to take an action that you would like them to do. So you need to be able to empathize with them, think what they're thinking, feel what they're thinking, uh, have you know, an idea of the problems. Now, I'm not saying we should be con men and trick people into doing stuff that is against their self-interest. No, obviously, uh, that'd be unethical. But what I'm saying is we need to be able to think and feel like they do. Otherwise, how can we try to you know, steer them in what's potentially the best for them and potentially what's best for the organization you're working for? Uh, so this is why I think you know, empathy is probably one of the, the, the strongest skills, but it is also one of the hardest ones to use because if you're constantly looking at data, if you're constantly looking at user research and being quantitative and qualitative and say, right, okay, I understand why that is. I see this, this thinks to this user problem, this thinks to that uh, problem statement. Uh, you know, I can, I've got all this information, great. Uh, but how is that user actually feeling? You know, what are their frustrations at each point? You know, how does that actually feel? And there's a you know, few little tricks that I've developed to, to help me. And one of the ones I always use is, you know, when you are, you know, doing some analytical piece of work, don't try to do your empathy part at the same time. Go away, take a break, 20 minutes, come back and say, right, forget all about the data. What is this user feeling? What is this group of users feeling? Why would they be feeling this? You know, why would they behave like this? So uh, segueing back to our previous conversation, uh, you know, the first project I had was for NCRO was for a, a cosmetic surgery company, and they asked me to look at their breast augmentation services. And I was thinking to myself, okay, looking at all the data, and I was uh, looking at what groups of pages had the best engagement. And there was one set of pages that had far higher engagement than anything else. 
And that were the pages about uh, where the, the hospitals were that did the surgery. And I thought to myself, hmm, that's, that's strange. Why is that then? And then I started reading more about the company, about, you know, what made them different from their competitors. And one of the key differentiators was that the fact that they had their own hospitals spread out across the country where you could go and get your surgery done. And 90% of the UK population was in 30 minutes. And I thought that's really important. You know, if I was having surgery, regardless of, you know, if it's cosmetic or an actual, I want it done near home, just in case anything happens, my family's close by, someone can come see me, etc. I'm not going to have to travel too far. So, yes, it's really important to have uh, these hospitals close to where you are. So the, the simple test I did was a, a little uh, call to action with a, a map ahead of it, which had the little pins of all the hospitals. So people could see, oh, these are all across the country. There's one right next to where I am. Uh, and we put that across the site. And this is the, like I said, this is the experiment that had led to a, a 400% increase in users actually going to the sign-up page and inquiring about cosmetic surgery and about 100% increase in users actually filling that form out. So it wasn't just the next step that optimized. It was the whole journey. And uh, like, yeah, it completely smashed out of the path. But it wouldn't have happened, you know, if I couldn't have empathized with that user uh, and that user process. And the only way I did that was first having the data then coming and thinking, what does that data actually mean to the user? Why are they behaving like this? And I think that's why if you don't have that empathy, if you can't generate that for your user, you know, you can run all the numbers you like, but all you're going to get is, you know, what's happening, where it's happening, and how often it's happening. You're never going to get to that why. So what's your favorite uh, ways of, of gathering uh, the, the more qualitative side uh, of of data on your users on what they are getting stuck with. I mean, this this is a great example where you where you show people the information, whether it's really conscious or not, but the information that they want to know at that time. How how close is it? How far or how far is it? Um, so, what are your favorite methods or tools to to gather this data? So, I love web analytics for telling me where things are happening or what's happening because that really helps you to focus down because. Now, the example I showed, I said previously, if I had not gone down and found the uh, those pages, I couldn't find out, you know, why is this happening? So I think that's what you've got to do is find some user behavior that's different, find some segment, you know, a set of pages that have much different, uh, you know, uh, changes in KPIs to the rest of the site. Uh, once you find that segment, that group of pages, that group of users, et cetera, then you need to go off and, you know, get that why. So some of my favorite ones are, you know, I love session recordings, you know, seeing what actual users are doing on the site. Uh, I love heat maps to see where they're clicking, where they, you know, trying to click, but there isn't a click. Uh, and, you know, surveys are good if they're done correctly. But one, I think the top one for me, the one I found always most helpful is moderated user testing because you can actually ask users, this is, you know, you know, why are you doing this? Why? How would you feel about this? You know, why wouldn't this work? And I think once you've got all those bits of data, then it, all those bits of information, and then you understand and you can feel how your users do, you can empathize with them. Then it's also about looking at the competitors because competitive research is one I also love as well to find out, right, this is what the client is doing. This is what everyone else is doing. Where's the differentiator? How does that solve my user's problem? Once you can do that, you know, you can use that empathy, you can use that uh, the way the user's thinking and feeling. You can find out the areas that potentially are separate you from the, the rest of the market. Then you can 
trying to fix those user problems. So, yeah, I think main tools, I think, are the ones that most people know about. And uh, uh, But, yeah, I think moderated user testing is is probably the best one for me. I think it's just, especially if you can get, you know, your user profile really tight and you can find this is the exact type of user I want. Uh, I've even had the case where I you know, worked with a CEO of a company and he told me, you know, no, this is not a problem. That's not what our users care about. And then you actually go and ask 10 users and they all say, yeah, uh, I hate this. Oh, no, this is yeah, this is a big issue for me. And then he was like, okay, right, how do we fix this? Uh, and so there's no more trying to convince them because you're not just a consultant. The actual customers are telling uh, these guys what's wrong. And I think that's really powerful is when the, the customers say, you know, oh, I hate your images. I can't, I can't see... The, the cut of the material on the model or, you know, or one of your competitors has video, I can see how the material moves. So I can see, is it going to be right for when I go out with my friends? Uh, so it's really powerful to get that information, get that in front of the people who make the decisions. Yeah, I think that's, that's one of the most valuable things coming out of user research, those those recorded videos of frustrated users, <laughs> combining those in one one frustration video and sending that to, to managers. And uh, they, they quickly want to fix uh, things, yeah. So we're talking about uh, empathy. And uh, of course, there's, uh, in, in, in well, most people are at least familiar with IQ, uh, but there's also EQ. So for the people amongst us, the, the, the more analysts that actually want to measure this, this is something we can measure <laughs> of ourselves. We could, there's, there are EQ tests uh, out there. If you uh, Google for those, you'll, uh, you'll uh, come across a couple of them. Um, so... We want to have more more empathy uh, uh, with the users uh, to improve our work. So, why do you think, um, or, or yeah, why? How can they? How can we uh, develop our empathy? How can we become better at this? I think it's uh, the only way to empathize with your users is to actually feel some of their frustrations. And I think one of the key things that I always do is. Do what your users do, but don't just do it once. Do it 10, 20 times. Uh, I once had to find an intermittent tracking issue in uh, the checkout, which involved me actually going all the way through the checkout and hitting confirmation page. And I had to do that 20, 30 times in one day. The things that weren't annoying me, you know, five, 10 times were really annoying me 20, 30 times in. Um, so then I was thinking, well, actually, uh, our users aren't as familiar with the website as I am. So what annoys me after 30 times is what annoys them after the first go. Uh, and that's when you quickly start thinking, yes, that's really bad. That's so annoying. I hate that. Why do I have to do this every time like that? Uh, because you get used to the foibles of your website because, you know, oh, you, you have to enter the address in this way. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Well, no. Why should that be like that? Why should you have to enter your postcode in without uh, without spaces because every other website caters for it. No, you know, you find tricks to make your website work after you've been using it for a number of days, even or weeks. Uh, but users who are coming there for the first time or users who don't use your website for eight hours a day like you do, uh, aren't aware of all these tricks, aren't aware of all the different features and products. You try doing it the way they are doing it. So you use your, you know, you use your session recording to say, right, this is how they are entering in different products, uh, one item at a time, one item at a time, one item at a time, uh, rather than using a bulk upload to enter in 100. It gets really annoying. Why aren't they using the bulk upload to? Because they don't know where it is. It's hidden away in the navigation. There's nothing to tell them that it's, you know, there, here's this great feature that does exactly what you're trying to do. 
but you can, you know, when someone is entering in a hundred different products and searching for them one by one, uh, you know, you can flag up, hey, did you know we've got this great upload tool? You just paste everything in your list, then you can add it all into the car in one go rather than searching one by one by one by one. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, we forget that our users aren't experts with our website. I think we assume everybody has the same amount of knowledge that we do. And I think that's why, like, empathy goes very closely with one of my uh, big things in CRO, which is clarity. Everything should be as clear as possible. You know, you shouldn't have to think about what the next step is, what happens if I click this button, how do I do this? It should just be there. It should just work right the first time. It should work exactly how you want to do. If I'm tabbing through the site, that should work too. You know, I might not be using my mouse because I've got to take my hands off the keyboard. That's how you've got to do it. You've got to make it as good for every user as possible. And the only way you can do that is, like I said, <laughs> if you try to do things the way they do it, if you try to mimic their struggles. I think mimicry is a really powerful way to increase your empathy because by mimicking actions, you can start you know, build up uh, the empathy to them because you're actually doing what they're doing. You get, you're literally walking a mile in their shoes, which is the saying that comes along with empathy. For over 10 years now, Online Dialogue advises about evidence-based conversion optimization with a focus on data and psychology. We see that analyzing data and recognizing customer behavior results in a better online dialogue with your clients and a higher ROI. The team of strategists, analysts, psychologists and UX specialists gathers valuable insights in the online behavior of your visitors and together with you they optimize the different elements of your CRO program through redesign, expert reviews, A-B tests and behavioral analysis. For more information about their services, go to onlinedialogue.com. Besides looking at uh, at your own website and, and basically becoming your own customer, that's a bit that's uh, what you're saying. Yeah, essentially. So, besides your your the website, would it, would there be other ways of of developing your empathy? Yeah. So, some of the you know talking to customers is really great. I think if you can get into the the mindset, that's what empathy is. Literally, is can you feel think the way your customers do? Uh, so one way is to mimic their actions, use your own website, become a custom. The other way is to actually find out as much about your customer as possible. Because if you can understand who they are and what drives them, what motivates them. So the classic one is customer personas. If you have really good customer personas, then yeah, that 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 is your uh, that is your empathy right there. That is who they are. What are their struggles? What are their pain points? What uh, are they trying to do? What could hold them back? So that's a really good way to develop, you know, empathy to be able to think and feel like your customers. If you have, uh, you know, you know everyone of your user types on the site, then you have, you know, that's a shortcut to getting there. And I think that's something that people miss with user personas. They kind of try to build a user persona that's, you know, very, um, very task focused rather than this is what the user feels, this is what frustrates them, this is where their lack of knowledge is. So I might be let's take myself if i am buying something on behalf of an engineer on my current client's website i am not an engineer i do not know if this one part is the same as that part all i have to go on is a part number so if you show me five products when i search for that part which one's the right one you know they might all have the same part number they might do all the same thing i don't know that because i'm not the expert i'm not the engineer that is my user struggle that is my pain point that is how i empathize empathize with that 
user. But the only way you can find that out is by understanding what they're doing, why they're doing it. And like I said, it's really good customer user research that builds up some really strong personas will massively help you cut that cut that time down to understanding and empathizing because you know you've got it right there. You've got really solid user personas. Um, you know, I think the the eyes the the Eisenberg brothers wrote the, the book about it, the Buyer Personas. Great book. You know, it's only about 70 pages as well, so you can read it in like an hour. Uh, and that really tells you how you should build your personas and why they are so important because as soon as you start building those, bam, you can empathize instantly. But right, this is this is John. He's the CEO. This is what, what his issues are. This is, you know, James, the engineer. This is what his issues are. This is, you know, Tom buyer this is what his issues are this is what he's thinking of feeling or what might make him stuff so i think yeah really good uh personas are uh, a massive shortcut to the empathy yeah, i think personas are a nice way to to put yourself in in uh someone else's shoes right and that, that's what empathy is about you need to mm-hmm. uh be able to to imagine how it is to be someone else so basically you need, yeah. to, need to tune down your own feelings and your own um uh, opinions about stuff and be very aware of the biases and and how others might think or how others might might see stuff. So putting yourself uh, maybe uh, in in uncomfortable situations with with people that think differently than you or think um, uh, yeah differently about certain topics uh, that can help you empathize with more and more people. Saying yeah, but then from their perspective, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a it's a different situation. I I, I clearly remember uh, before starting uh, my study in psychology. Um, someone t- so most most psychologists not so I did uh, applied cognitive psychology with which is more the usability uh, side but of course the the more uh, well known part of psychology clinical psychology uh, I spoke to someone and he said yeah it's, it's weird when you start you doing uh, psychology because of the empathy part also because before you study psychology or if you don't so, haven't uh, um, read into psychology at all. Uh, when you hear about uh, someone doing really bad behavior, like you hear about uh, rape crimes or uh, um, um, I don't know all, all kinds of bad behavior, um, normal people would say, "Oh, that's 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 horrible. Put them in jail and and let's never talk to them again." Well, if you study psychology, you would say, "Hey, that's interesting. I wonder about his childhood." What did he do? Mm. <laughs> what is happening to him? Why is he How was his relationship like this? with his mother? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and it's true. And you start to empathize. Yeah. I said, oh. so th- that might be a bit too much. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I mean, my wife had this, you know, we had this similar argument previously. It was, uh, we were watching a uh, show about psychopaths. I was like, well, the psychopath isn't doing something bad per se. Because obviously, they might go and, you know, because it's about serial killers and the, the, he might be going around killing people. But, you know, it's to him, it's not malicious because he has no empathy with his victims. You know, he's not doing it to hurt them. He's doing it to fulfill his own selfish needs. So, yes, it's, very, it's a very selfish thing he's doing. But he, you know, he, he lacks the ability to feel empathy. He lacks the ability to feel remorse. Uh, so that's why he's doing these kind of things, as well as the bad childhood, the bad upbringing, et cetera, et cetera, some genetic component as well. But, um, you know, you can't judge a, a psychopath by normal moral standards because, you know, it doesn't apply to them. We have you know, the ability to empathize with people. We feel bad if we hurt them. Uh, and I think, you know, they lack that. So, of course, if you lack that self-control mechanism, 
you're potentially going to go off the deep end. So, uh, although there are some very successful psychopaths out there who do really well, you know, hedge fund managers, surgeons, military people. So, you know, it's, I think the upbringing massively makes a big difference. One of my favorite tools to, um, to instill a bit more empathy in people is, uh, talking about uh, cognitive biases or, or teaching them about that or just having them read about it because it's it's well I think it's well, most people find it fun to do because it's it's, it's like it's a confrontation also with your own thoughts mm-hmm. uh, how your how your own decision making uh, process is working but also helps you uh, think about hey um, he's doing or he or she is making this decision oh hey I, I've read about this bias uh, it might be that it's something I try to teach training to my teams is uh, how do you spot confirmation bias? Because, you know, everybody wants to find stuff that proves they're right. Uh, so when you're looking at test results, for example, that it's really easy to find a KPI that your test uh, optimized uh, or find, uh, you know, a segment where it did really well for people. But actually, if you haven't predetermined that, then, yeah, you, you are just falling into the confirmation bias trap and you just find something that works, I think. Uh, goes back to our earlier topic is that you know when you're coming into organizations that's something you find happens a lot because they don't have that process so the the confirmation bias uh, is is in full effect and you know i'll hold my hands up as well i i still fall guilty to this as well oh, yeah. but luckily you know I've, I've planned out my test and said <laughs> you know uh my my kpi is at tabasque my secondary kpi is orders i have not talked about aov i've not talked about revenue so when i see aov and revenue go up I'm like, oh, I really want to call the test on that, but no, I can't because I've already said I, I, I was. But it's you know, it's really sneaky and it's really hard because when you are invested in something, you really want to prove that yes, I got it right. I, I want that win. You want that endorphin from a big result, and uh, so this is why, uh, yeah, it's 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 massively hard to combat some of these biases because they're, they're so ingrained into our psyches. Yeah. It's, they're like mental shortcuts, aren't they? So you you know this as a study psychology, mental shortcuts to cut down on thinking that uh, that is something that the human brain is hardwired to try to avoid is to yeah. you know, cut down on thinking, you know, be very emotive. Yeah, thinking is really expensive for your brain. So it wants to save save as much energy as possible. <laughs> I think I've read somewhere that your brain uses something like 20% of your calories, even though it makes up about 4% of your body weight. And I was like, wow. The brain is such a, a hungry machine. Yeah, it's a, it's like a, tw- a twenty watt, uh, watt uh, light bulb. That's the energy equivalent of your brain. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it's massively diff- you know it's, it's you know it's massively difficult to avoid taking uh, emotive responses, and this is why going back to the empathy is we think everybody is behaving analytically. You know, I'm going to choose this product because it's better than this product, uh, but actually emotively. I want that one because it looks nice. It's going to fit better on my coffee table. Um, you know, that's the emotive versus the analytical. You know, we think people are behaving and purchasing analytically, but they're being emotive. So if you can't get into that emotive frame of mind, how can you then optimize that behavior? Um, because, you know, that, that you know, black uh, stereo might fit in very nice the decor, but it's not as good as this the lovely silver one. Uh, but, you know, did you also know it, it comes in black? Uh, but if if all you care about is hey look this has got 500 watts this only one's only got 10 watts uh, but they really like the color black and they can't see how to change the, the color on the 500 watts <laughs> you know they're not going to do it so this is why I said you, if you don't get into the emotive part find what drives you what is making 
what is helping them to make these decisions, these mental shortcuts, these their emotive responses, then you can't optimize that. If you're literally only going by data, if you're only going by information, if you're only thinking about coaching decisions in an analytical mindset, then you're going to struggle to optimize their user behavior. Fightspec offers a worldwide unique A-B testing, personalization, and product recommendation solution. SiteSpec works server-side without any tags or scripts, which guarantees an optimal performance. The SiteSpec solution eliminates delays and the chance of any flickering effects, and this approach also ensures that the current and future browser security rules like ITP and ETP don't make an impact on your A-B testing and personalizations. For more info, visit SiteSpec.com. And developing your empathy, it's a double-edged sword. It also works inside the company that you're working for mm-hmm. uh, when presenting those results. And I, I've made this mistake many times myself by by presenting the data and then not taking into account more the emotional uh, uh, part of the of the story. And then people rejecting the the most incredible um, A/B test results because <laughs> because they didn't believe in it somehow, yeah. or it didn't it didn't resonate with with their um, their emotions around it or their their beliefs around it, and then uh, rejecting uh, whatever I came up with. Um, so that's that's like I said, it's double edged sword. It also works developing empathy. It helps you mm. uh, within your own company or as a consultant, the company that you work for. Uh, internally to to become a better become better at zero. Yes, I think uh, you know we, very much the buzzword for the last few years around data has been storytelling. Um, and what is a story? A story is what's happened. It's, it's about a journey. You know, you start off with the antagonist, the protagonist. They go through some kind of adventures. Eventually, they get to the other side and they get the the just reward for following the right path. But you know what is a journey? It's it's a roller coaster of emotions. You need to have the highs, you need to have the lows, and you need to be able to take your user in this case, whoever you're pitching your test results to. Which is why you know I started off my career because I'm very analytical, just showing here's a bar chart, here's a here's a table. This is the data. Aren't I aren't I so clever? And people people just didn't get it. Like you said, like, mm, I'm not so sure. You might need to double check that one. Uh, but then you start telling the story uh, and say, All right, so we had this idea and then we did this user research and then we went and uh, we went and got this analytics data and we spoke to our users. They said, oh, yes, I really hate it when this happens. So we thought to ourselves, what's the best way to do it? We tried these different approaches. And you take them through that whole journey and you walk them through every step of it, step by step. And eventually they get to the, uh, you know, get to the promised land and then you reel the results. And they're like, oh, yes, great. Yeah, I can totally see all the different bits of that. And you led them through and walked them through and you told them the story about all the trials and tribulations, uh, you know, all the failures that you had until you eventually got the right one. Because, you know, as zero people, we tend to just say, hey, look, these are the winners. And we don't show you the, the 10 tests that lost to get there. Uh, but if you don't show those 10 tests that lost, then how can you uh, take your, you know, your, your, uh, your product holders and uh, your CEOs through that journey and show them, this is exactly how we got there. These were the trials and tribulations and how can you tell that story about uh, all the all the bad stuff as well as the good stuff. Exactly. Please don't forget about it, uh, people. Um, so, uh, Amal, thank you so much for uh, taking us through your uh, uh, thoughts about uh, empathy. Uh, what are your, what are the things you're uh, going to do in the next uh, 12 months? What are you working on? So, yeah, I think to the I'm working with my current client to the end of the year. 
uh, and so optimizing their, their sites across the, their three main regions, so North America, Europe, and APAC. Um, so we've got a very full, very full testing cycle. Uh, they've just moved into working agile, so uh, that's really good as well. So helping them with the agile ways of working. And uh, uh, personally, myself, I think, uh, you know, getting through lockdown, hopefully going on a holiday at some point. Um, you know, luckily I went to Dubai in uh, January and then obviously the lockdown happened two months later. So at least I'm had a holiday yet. Uh, and, you know, my daughter's looking back to going back to school in September. So that would be big person. I think, yeah, uh, in terms of work uh, next year, we'll see, you know, I'll find it with the client, uh, work with another industry. I've been doing some work with um, uh, the, uh, the the crap COVID initiative of yep. different CRO people have been given away uh, an hour of their time, two hours of time a week, etc. So I'm working with a few organizations. I'm working with an SEO company in Holland uh, and helped them out and gave them some advice. I've also worked with some, uh, you know, some, uh, financial services companies so I've donated a bit of my time when because uh, I thought you know it, it's a difficult situation everybody needs to improve their, their conversions everyone needs to try to make more money for less traffic uh, uh, m- most people Amazon's doing really well I see share prices up 50% year on year um, so Jeff Be- Bezos is doing very well for himself I think he's uh, <laughs> increased his net worth by about 50 billion since the lockdown. So um, someone's doing okay, but I think there's a lot of companies, a lot of people that are struggling. So yeah, you know, I think I'm trying to do a little bit more of that, trying to give more back to the community. Uh, I was really looking forward to going to Conversion Hotel in November, uh, my favorite conference. I've been the last four years in a row, but uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen this year. I've not, I've not managed to go to any conferences. So this, this year, everyone's been cancelled. So uh, that's a big shame for me. Yeah, we did a podcast uh, on uh, on the crap initiative uh, for uh, for COVID nineteen uh, for zeros, and uh, if you want to listen to that one, uh, we will link to that uh, in the show notes. And as a final question, uh, Amo, uh, th- any books you'd like to tip to our audience? Uh, yes, yeah, so I've got a, a couple. I think one was by Nate Silver. If you don't know Nate Silver, he runs Five Thirty Eight. It's a website that analyzes sports, politics, uh, and some science very data heavy uh, and he goes into his book is called uh, I believe it's called uh, The Noise and the Signal and it's about how do we separate uh, the signal, the insights from all the noise that we have. We have so much data in the day, we have too much of it. How do we get what's right and how's that? And he goes through different examples of where this lack of ability to separate signal and noise has caused some big issues. So everything from you know, the, the the big housing market crash called by all the overleveraging of the banks to, you know, September 11th to uh, to other bits as well. So he walks us through the, the science as far as involved in how do you separate noise from data, which is, of course, the ROI people is really important because that's what we're essentially trying to do. What is an actual result and what is just noise? Uh, so, that yeah, that's one of my favorite books. And I'll probably read, read it about once every year. So just because there's so many nuggets in there that it's uh, it's hard to uh, it's hard to remember the role. Nice. We'll definitely link to that book uh, in the in the show notes. Amo, thank you so much for joining us in the Shiro Cafe podcast. Thank you very much. Love to talk to you soon and uh, have a good day. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye.
Which concludes Season 2, Episode 31 of the Shiro Cafe podcast with Amardeep Adwal. If you're interested in promoting your products or services to the best Zero specialists in the world, please take a look at zero.cafe slash partner to see how we can collaborate. And although we started out as a Dutch podcast, I can fully understand that you want to skip all the Dutch gobbledygook. Please go to zero.cafe slash English to get an overview of our English episodes and to subscribe to get notified about our English content. The next English episode is in two weeks in which I talk with ex-Googler and founder of Experimentation Zone, AJ Davis. And in that episode, we'll be talking about leveling up your user research and why and how you can make creativity a priority in your zero process. Talk to you next episode and always be optimizing. <laughs>